All the rolling go, where am I to go, me Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today we are in a strange named town in New Mexico called Truth or Consequences. And we are at the Geronimo Museum here. It's a really nice little museum. It's one I visited several years ago. And we're going to be divided out kind of into three different areas. Our first host is going to be Anne, and she's going to take us through kind of the history of the town and, and what happened here and why it has the name that it has. And then we're going to catch up with Mike, who is a geologist and is going to talk to us a little bit about the geology in the area. And then we're going to catch up with Jeff, who is going to talk to us about their world-class arrowhead and pottery uh, artifact part of the museum. So right now we're going to start off with Anne. And she's going to take us through the history of the town and, and some of the reason as to why it is called Truth or Consequences. Welcome, Anne, to Where Am I to Go podcast. Thank you. Okay. So you're going to tell us all about Truth or Consequences. Yes. Okay. It's, it's a long story. It's a long story? <laughs> yes. We have a whole room dedicated to it, so we can go in there and okay. be reminded of what it, what it is. Okay. As the sign says, a man, which was Ralph Edwards, and a show, which was Truth of Consequences, and a city, which turned its name into Truth of Consequences. Okay, so there was a show called Truth or Consequences. Yes. Okay, and who is Ralph Edwards? He was the man that was the host of the Truth of Consequences show in, in Los Angeles. Hollywood. In Los Angeles? Yes. Not in Truth or Consequences? No. Okay. No. And it, he came to Truth of Consequences... He wanted a town to change its name for one day so he could promote it and uh, have a, get, broadcast a show from here. Uh, and he, he chose Truth or Consequences because of our hot mineral waters and because of the children's hospital that we had here. And he chose it from several cities in New Mexico. And he came uh, and set it up uh, to bring the show here. Well, the people decided they just wanted to change the name all the time to Truth of Consequences. Really? And, and so they voted to change it. And on April the 1st of 1940, I believe, they changed the name. And then they had a big fiesta. Oh, really? Uh, and celebrated it. And uh, Ralph uh, came for 50 years. He was only going to come that one time, but he came for 50 years. And he always brought famous stars with him. So we saw almost all the famous stars from Hollywood. They would come and stay the weekend of the fiesta. Really? Yes. That is so cool. Okay, so now what was the basis of Truth or Consequences? Was it a game show? It was a game show where they tricked people and they did all kinds of funny stunts and so forth. Kind of like a candid camera thing or? Uh, well, no, it was... I don't know what it's like today. <laughs> uh, the contestants would go up on the stage, and it was kind of like you used to play Truth or Consequences. If you didn't tell the truth, you had to pay the consequences. Okay. And, and so you would uh, th th have to do something, and then you'd get something pulled on you or uh, a stunt. That, uh, and he, he always had a Truth or Consequences show okay. at every fiesta. 
the first one was the only one that was uh, nationally broadcast. Okay. And so with Truth or Consequences, you said it started like in the 40s. So that's kind of like when television very first started. started. Yes, it was. And how long did it run? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, I think I remember it when I was a kid, like in the 60s, but I don't... I think it was probably in maybe into the 70s. Okay. Because yeah. we were getting... Well, we had the stars like Klinger that oh. came... Okay, that, from, from MASH. The, yeah. Yeah. So it... I think, I believe, maybe it wasn't going internet, but I think it was still well known then in the, in the 70s. Okay. 80s. And, and when did he quit coming here? Oh, gosh, let's see. 2000? Really? Wow. I, I, can't, I can't remember the last one. It, it's in here somewhere. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, that's quite the story. And so the town changed its name yes. permanently. And what was the name of the town beforehand? Hot Springs. Hot Springs. And that was because we had the hot mineral waters that people came to uh, to take the baths and soak in the tubs and so forth. And from what I understand, you have a lot of hot springs around here. Uh, we have, yes, we do. Okay, and they're still all active and people can participate in yes, that? Yes, yes. There's a lot of bathhouses still around. Okay. It's along in there somewhere. The bathhouses kind of, uh, it well, it kind of drew other kind of people that came with different kinds of medical miracles. Right. And they uh, always all do. of that kind of all died out for a while, and so uh, hot springs or truth consequences kind of hung on the vine there for a while. With uh, Nobody was coming to take the baths or do any of this. But, but they kind of had a revival. Yes, they have. Oh, In the that... last few years, they've had a revival of it. And bathhouses have spruced themselves up and, uh, yeah. So do they have a big water park for the uh, hot springs also, or are these just mineral springs that you go and bathe in? They're just mineral spring, uh, places that you go and bathe in. And some of them, are they've fixed them up, and they're just really interesting now. Okay. Uh, some of them are... Uh, down by the river, and they have the baths right on the river bank, and you can look out over the river. Okay. Uh, some of them have theme names, uh, and they all have tubs in the room with the hot water, but it might be the Roy Rogers room or the Marilyn okay. Monroe, that type of thing. Some of them are fancier, and some of them are uh, more modern, more, you know. Right. They're Ru not, not, some not of them are rustic, and some well, of them are fancy. The one, the one that... Uh, is the fanciest would be Ted Turner's one over here. Oh, Ted Turner has one. Oh yeah. Okay, and it's and it's open to the public. Yes. Okay, that's that's interesting. And so this country around here, uh, Linda and I took a ride yesterday. We went up to Hillsboro, on up over the pass, and we ended up getting lost and and loved every minute of it. This country is just so pretty down here. Nice. Uh, I think a lot of people think of New Mexico as being kind of barren cactus, whatever. But the mountains around here are just absolutely gorgeous, and the views are just outstanding. You guys live in a beautiful place. Yes, we have desert, mountains, and lakes, and you can go to be in any interesting, another interesting place in 30 minutes from Deer Street. Yes. You can go to the mountains, you can go to the lake, wherever. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. So we are in the, the Truth or Consequences room. Ralph Edwards' room. Ralph Edwards' room, okay. Wow. You have all kinds of costuming. Were these costumes that were used on the show? Well, after the fiestas got started, 
it, it became a, a thing that every woman had to have her own fiesta dress. Okay, and it, all of these clothes are, are more Mexican style or yes, fiesta yes. style. Yes. And they started out very simple, and they got fancier and fancier and more expensive and more expensive. So. And you're still doing the fiestas, right? Uh, yes, they do, but they're not like they were years ago. Okay, because I'm looking up here on the wall, and you've got all the fiesta queens, or yes. or are they called queens? Yes, okay. fiesta queens. The fiesta queens. Yes, from 1950. And, wow. Yeah. And so you've got all those pictures. You've got lots of dresses, and the men are dressed in in fiesta type clothing, also. Well, most of the men didn't dress like this, but uh, they were encouraged to dress. Uh, dress up for the fiesta with cowboys or uh, uh, the Mexican style, but they don't do that so much anymore. This is a dress that after the name was changed to Truth or Consequences, some lady that lived here took the newspaper that that article was in and took it to Albuquerque and a gentleman turned it into the material and she made this fiesta dress. So this is the print of the actual news articles that told about the name change. Oh, and really? Some of the photographs that were in the paper when they ran that particular article. Wow. It's not the most beautiful as far as fancy goes, but as far as its uniqueness and originality, that's my favorite one in here. That is really cool. And it's, it's in the fiesta style or right. that, that the women the, would have worn, exactly, yes. Exactly, yeah. She it, was, it was Arletta Coleman, and she owned the newspaper. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and that was Debbie, uh, the, the daughter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inject here. That was Debbie, the daughter of Joanne, who we did the podcast at the Gum Museum in Quartzsite. Uh, this is how we made the arrangements is, is uh, Joanne told us to get a hold of Debbie, and Debbie has put this thing together for us. So there, there is a connection between the Gum Museum and this museum. <laughs> okay, and then you've got... Uh, saddle here that was presented to Ralph Edwards as a gift yes. from the county sheriff's posse. That's pretty cool. And every year when he would come, they would take the saddle off a display and put it on a horse, and he would ride in a parade on, his, on a horse. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And any time he came in after he got too old to do that, and he would visit the museum, he would come in and jump on that. On, on the saddle tree. And sit there. <laughs> right here in the museum. Right here in the museum. Wow. Uh, and these are some of the personalities, a few. We, had a, uh, we have a lot more, but these are some of the uh, stars that have been here down, down through the years. Wow. So you've got a picture or a wall here with, what, probably 50 or 60 different uh, yeah. pictures? Yeah. You've got Robert Reed. You've got Wayne Newton. Uh, Peter Graves, Amanda Blake. Jane Ansfield. Did, did a lot of these just come one year, or did a lot of them uh, come back on a continual basis? This guy right here, Rusty Morell, that was the whatever he was on oh, the, the People's Court. Court. He came uh, for many, many years. He was the bailiff, I think, yes, wasn't he? Yes. <clears throat> Richard Dawson. That's Alice off of uh, the Brady Bunch, isn't yes. it? Yes. Okay. I'm recognizing a few of these people. I think that's Klinger up there, isn't it? Yep, yep, Jamie Farr. Wow. A lot of them came here. This is pretty interesting. Wow. 
Okay, and then you've got a TV up here. Does that show Truth or Consequences movies? Uh, there are snitches of them. It, it just usually tells the whole story of how this came to be. Okay. That, name that. But uh, some of the, we have some, I think, that do show old shows. Right. Uh, it seems to me that there, was, that there was one playing when yes, I was here yeah. many years yeah, ago. There is one little skit they kind of show. <clears throat> okay. Uh -huh. and, and most of those skits were hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think this particular one, they have two guys that have to climb a ladder and hang wallpaper, and they can only use one hand to climb the ladder and hang the wallpaper and get the glue down there. It is pretty hysterical. <laughs> okay. I've, I've, I've heard of uh, a, a statement that was busier than a one-armed paper hanger. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so where do we go from here? Wherever you wish. So we're done with the history, with the history of... Of uh, truth, or truth or consequences. Yes. Okay. We haven't gotten to the history before truth or consequences. That's where. Okay. Well, let's talk with Mike, uh, who is a geologist, and see what he has to tell us. Do we need to see the history before truth or consequences. Well, we're going oh. to with Jeff, right? Uh, Jeff and Mike both. Yeah, they can do that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. And, and there's a room. There's enough rooms back over that way okay. that we can do the whole history. Just want to make sure. Okay. Of, yeah, of so, so we're kind of done with this section of the museum. Unless you want to go in here. <laughs> what, what's in here? Well, let's go in here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it's got some of the history in here, too. Now, this, this is a quilt made out of tobacco sacks, and uh, people embroidered their names in them, on them. Okay. Are these their brands? Uh, and some of them have their brands on there, yes. This is a big cattle country here. Around okay. And this is this is a really nice quilt. It's got uh, oh probably a hundred names on it with different brands. Yes. And it's it's what probably queen size. Oh, I would say probably double at the time. Okay. And um, I thought it had a year on it, but I, oh, oops, sorry. I don't see the year it was made. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, a long time. Uh, those are uh, the people that uh, founded Winston. The little town up, oh, okay. up north, uh, west of here. Uh, he was a state senator, and they lived in Winston for years and years and years. And those two people over there are the Pankies, and they were ranchers here. Okay, and was was Winston a, a cattle town, or was it a mining town? It was more of a mining town. Because you, you have a lot of mining around here. Yeah, especially in that area of chloride in Winston. Okay. And that's kind of in the northwest part of our county. Okay. Uh, these murals over here kind of tell the history of our, and they were done by Delmas Howe, who was a rather famous artist, and, and from uh, Hot Springs, Tiercy. Okay. And, and that one shows, the, bit, the one down there is uh, Coronado. Okay. And then we have Geronimo, and then we have Eugene Manlove Rhodes who was a cowboy poet that wrote many, many books. Uh, and he lived over by Ingle. And we had, uh, his books were about the area. Okay, and these murals, there's these three murals on the wall. They're probably uh, well, eight foot. One. Oh, there's another one behind me. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's Pancho Villa. He wasn't as famous over here as these three were. Okay. 
And these pitchers are good-sized pitchers. They're probably five foot tall, maybe even six foot by eight foot. And one of them has a cowboy kind of looking over a valley by what I would assume is a, is a, a ferry dock. Yes, and that would be out where the Rio Grande comes down. Okay, because the Rio Grande runs right through here. Yeah. And then you've got another one of Geronimo talking with a couple of other braves. And, and that would be up near Winston, Dusty. Okay. What they call the Box Canyon. And then you've got another one with uh, some of the New Coronado. Mexico mountains, Coronado with yeah, the New, New Mexico was, mountains and kind of a scenery in, picture in, with um, Coronado uh, in it. Yeah. And I've always said I will not do any art museums. Oh. Uh, and the reason <laughs> is, is how do you describe art and give a true idea of what, uh, what the art's really portraying. You have to see it in order to appreciate it. True. And because I do an audio podcast, it makes it really tough to describe it well enough. So you need to come take a look at these paintings versus me trying to describe them. <laughs> and then you've got some nice saddles here. Oh, yes, we have many saddles. Uh, in this case... It's some of the oldest stuff that we have in the museum. Okay. Native American uh, yucca bags made out of yucca frog, uh, sandals, bones. There's an atlatl over there that is uh, one of the oldest pieces in here and our most valuable one. That is really a fancy atlatl. And for anybody that doesn't know what an atlatl is, it is a launching stick for arrows, pre bow and arrow time and they had an arrow that would have a little notch in the back and this is a stick that's probably three foot long you put the notch in the back of the stick much like you would those chuck it dog throwers right. and you're able to get a lot more distance with your atlatl for for more effectiveness in in killing your prey and, and that was that's very very old they took it and uh tried to carbon date it you know uh -huh. I, I don't know if it, how it came out. Okay. That was several years ago. And then you've got, like you said, the yucca sandals. Uh -huh. I don't know if I've ever seen any that were in that good a shape and, and still around. Those are really nice pieces. I think these were found in a cave where it was real dry. Okay. And then you've got a fishnet over here, too, that's all yeah. woven. And what's this thing? The. I think that was a, a kind of a thing they put on... Uh, like a breastplate. Okay. A what? Oh, breastplate, this one? Oh, I thought he was talking about this. Oh. I was talking about this, oh, yes. Okay. I thought, I think it's, I think they put around them to put them in the, to hold them. That's what like I Like babies? Uh, well, if, so they get in the, uh, the shape where Iberium or whatever. Okay. I, I, it I almost kind of looks like a, like a bark corset is yeah. about the way that I would describe it. And it's probably a, a foot tall and, and probably 18 inches round. And it's just a very interesting looking piece of adornment made out of bark. Cool. It is really cool. Yes. And these, I just wanted to point these out to you. Uh, a little man in Almogordo, New Mexico was a jeweler. And he, he hand carved all of these. And... Around the bottom are all the explorers that came, and then the next ones up you have a representative of all the uh, Native Americans. And then you have Kachinas at the top level. Yes. 
Okay. And these are all really nicely carved uh, little statuettes. Yes. You've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably mispronounce a bunch of the names, but Esteban the Moor, Marcos de Ninza, Jacques, Jacques Carter, Cabeza de Vaca. Cabeza. See, you know how to pronounce them. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I knew I was going to butcher it when I started. Everybody's going to be laughing at my, but that's not a big deal. Yeah, you've got a whole bunch of those, and they're all probably four inches tall, all wearing the costuming that, or and I say costuming, but uh, the, the dress of the day. And hand carved. And hand carved. Wow. And painted. Yes. These are just amazing. And the kachinas are so cool. You've got your, all of your Indian chiefs, and wow, that is really neat. Now, see, this whole room here was a bar at one time. Okay. And if you come here early in the morning, you you know that it was a bar at some time. So when it they, still has the the smell. Yes. <laughs> wow. And it, you've got a fountain of, going here in the middle that yes. that's making a little bit of background noise, but you see the the bar was over here on this part. You know, okay. That, and, and this was a mural behind the bar. Oh, was, so it was, it's still here from when the bar was here. Yeah, well, they covered it up, but we discovered it, so we uncovered it. And in order to get the, all of the, uh, of the mural in there, we had to move this wall, move a wall, because it goes clear to the back. So it, and it's got cowboys branding a cow with, uh, and round, wow. It goes all the way back around. Yeah. So we didn't know what to do with this little space, so we made it into a bar. Yeah. This is interesting because you've got cowboys. One of them's on a bucking horse. Uh, I'm assuming that he's got a little bit of a problem with his roundup going on. Another one is uh, roped a cow and has it down, and then they've got the brands going on over here. That's a really neat picture. And we have every kind of cowboy hat that you want, and each one is, has a story that goes with it. And they're scattered throughout the museum. Okay, so you just got to look for the cowboy hats to see what the different yeah. stories are. This one here says this how it came from the White House department store, Hot Springs, as seen on the inside brand. The White House was located on Broadway in the west end of what is now Sheriff's Office, Martha's Variety Store. It was purchased by Mr. Roy Schoderet. Of Shin, Hillsboro. Shinrod. Shinrod? Okay. In Hillsboro in the late 40s at the fantastic sum of $10.95. As attested to the end of the box, the hat of this quality today would be well over $100. Wow. And that's pretty cool that you have all the different hats throughout the museum also. Over here we have a... The Eugene Madlove Rhodes, this guy right here. Okay, the uh, guy that did all the painting? Right. Okay. And, and some of the books that he wrote are there. And uh, this... Um, so he was an artist and an author? Uh, more of an author. More of an author, okay. More of a character. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this, this guy on the cow, <laughs> uh, that was Joel McRae, and it was in the movie... Uh, that uh, the Four Faces West, that was a okay. book that Rhodes wrote, and they made a movie of it, and it was the only Western that 
not a shot was fired in it. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Huh. And it's got a picture of him riding on a on a steer, yeah. I'm assuming, with, with pretty decent-sized horns. Yeah, and it was and, Joel McCray. I don't huh. know if you remember him in the Western. I, you know, I'm not a big movie and TV watcher, so... And this one is particularly interesting. This is Preacher Lewis. He came to Las Cruces as a young man, or a young boy, and he was sickly, and he learned how to knit. And uh, as he got older, he became a minister. But he never, and he had Las Cruces all the way up to Hillsboro, on up to San Rochelle, back down through here. Wow. But he walked it. He walked it every week. What? He did. He would walk, and somebody would always come along and give him a, a ride to the next place. And as he went along, he knitted. And you could see the picture there. And he would knit, like, baby caps. Wow. And things. And then he would give them out to, to the people that had babies along the way. And they all, everybody knew him. And they saw, they'd see him walking. He'd get to San Michelle on Saturday, and he'd catch the train back down to Las Cruces. To preach, and then he would start it all over again. How many mile circus oh, circle is that? Oh, that's it would be. Gosh, uh, Las Cruces is what a hundred miles from here? No, it's uh, seventy. Okay. It would have easily been a hundred mile circuit. And he did that every single week. He did it, and he time. preached at each place on the way. Yes. Uh, that guy had to be in shape. Well, he he walked. He carried his little bag with him. But like I say, once he started walking, people knew him. So they'd pick him up and take him to the next town, you know. Wow. And we, how many years did he do this? Oh, for years and years. And it says, okay, it says, although preacher Lewis had a lifetime pass on the Santa Fe Railroad, the trains did not fit his schedule. His usual means of transportation was his feet, and for 40 years he started out on foot every Monday morning on his missionary route, which took him to... Rincon, Hatch, Array, Lake Valley, Hillsboro, Hot Springs, now Truth of Consequences, Ingle, and San Marshall. This area covers some 30,000 square miles. Yep. Wow. That is just so fascinating. And, and uh, he, he was always taking up a collection for so, Mr. So-and-so over here. His, his kids were hungry or they needed shoes, and so he'd go into a bar. Really? And, and he would he would just say, okay, boys, I need, you know, and they would pass the money on to him, and then he'd take it to the family. Really? Everybody between here and there and everywhere knew him. Oh, I'll bet they did. You can't miss a preacher walking every week. They said he had carried it in a little pouch, his money. Uh-huh. And way up in the mountains here, they found a pouch one day. These guys were up there, and they knew immediately it was his because he always carried it, you know, with him. Uh-huh. So they just picked it up and brought it back to him. Wow. What a story. And then you've got some ladies' clothing here with the old uh, uh, ostrich yes. feather hats and just some really nice dresses. Now, were these part of the Truth or Consequences uh, deal at all? or is this No, just... these are actually old, old dresses okay. that were donated to us. Okay, this is a really neat display of the of the fashions of whatever day it was. It probably looks like the oh, what, some the of them I think were in the eighteen hundreds. Were some, they? Most of them were uh, in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking yeah. it, it looked like. But the same with the hats and all this now. Glasses and curling irons and 
Wow. And this is another case where we have uh, old, old things. These are buffalo gloves. Okay. Wow. You've got gloves and an old whiskey jug. And, and these are yucca needles with fibers for sewing. Yes. Well, isn't that interesting? Some arrowheads. And these are bracelets made out of seashells. Okay. And this is spears and tomahawks. And, and I'm assuming your other room that you've got that Jeff's going to take us through has a whole bunch more of that stuff. Uh, well, bowls, yeah, also bowls. Cool. Okay, these, uh, these are interesting. The uh, oh, yeah. part of Sierra County. What do you think that is? It looks to me like a spaceship. <laughs> Good for you. I, I ask the kids when they come through, and they'll, they say that. I have no idea what it is, but that's what I always thought it to be. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of one of those gullible people that oh. believe that the aliens and spaceships have yeah. been around for thousands sure. of years. Yep. And these, uh, now, is this the average size of the rock? This rock is probably uh, two foot round, and it has a whole bunch of pictographs on it. Yeah, and they, it was found... Oh, I would say within 15 or 20 miles of of, of Tiercy. You've got a couple of them here. Yes. Are there a bunch more out there, or do you? Uh, I don't. Uh, th these were given to us by citizens who had gone out there and picked them up. So. Okay. We, I don't know. And then you have a whole bunch of the grinding stones oh, with the. Yes. Yeah. Way too many of those. <laughs> huh. And and these bronze depict the pictures that are up here. Okay, and the bronzes are around a fountain. That's what you're hearing in the yes. background with the water running. Okay. Well, I guess we should go find Mike and see what Mike has to tell us. Yes. I think, I think we've about explored all here we need to explore. Okay. Well, this has really been interesting, Ann. I, I appreciate you taking us through this and giving us this history. So now we're with Mike, and Mike's a geologist, and Mike's going to take us through uh, the geology of the area and some of the collection that they have that way. Okay. So the, the geology of, of uh, western New Mexico is fairly complex. It's the whole area during, when the continents were uh, sort of separating all the uh, all the rocks started folding up as the, as the plate moved west, and that caused the mountains here about 30 million years ago. And so you have a lot of folding and a lot of opportunity for volcanic activity, a lot of uh, minerals, a lot of hot spring minerals coming up to the surface. And so western New Mexico became a hotbed of mining. Okay. And so there. Uh, Many different types of uh, minerals were found in western New Mexico, copper being predominant, uh, silver, gold, manganese. They did a lot of mining for manganese during the war to uh, help with stainless steel production. Okay. Lots of fluorite, beautiful fluorite crystals, but that was mined for the fluorine content, for fluoridated water and toothpaste, and also for metal processing. We have huge barite mines in western New Mexico here, and the barite is very, very heavy. They use that for making mud to hold the, uh, when they're drilling for oil, okay, is okay. To, hold the, to hold the pressure down. So this is just a, just a whole potpourri of, of mining opportunities here. There are many mines that are still, in act, are still active, but most of them have long since uh, stopped. There's a huge copper deposit west of here. 
around uh, Silver City. That's one of the largest copper mines in in the Southwest. Really. So. That part of the geology is very, very fascinating. But part of that geology is why the hot springs are here. Okay. So what happened is the Rio Grande River was coming through, and it moved from over by where the spaceport is to uh, this part of New Mexico. Okay, can I stop you there? Sure. Tell me about the spaceport. Well, the spaceport is... <laughs> I know is it has there? nothing to do with geology. Oh, that's okay, but... that's all right, but it's a fascinating area. The spaceport is that where Virgin Galactic shoots their uh, rockets into space. There's also a sling rocket launch pad there. And when if you read about uh, Branson going up into space for a few right. minutes, well, that came from the spaceport here. And how so close is that? It's about 30 miles away. And is it accessible to the public it, at all? Or? You, can't, you have to get a guide, you have to get a tour to go in and do tours of it at certain times of the year. And we have a visitor center here in uh, Tier C that takes people out to the spaceport. And the spaceport has a huge runway and a restricted airspace. So this is also where the Air Force Thunderbirds practice in, the, in January. Okay. And they just left. <laughs> okay. Well, now this is way cool. Okay. So let's get back into okay. get back into the geology. I'm so, going to have to, I, I may have to see if I can get a podcast at that place. That oh yeah. It's cool. fascinating. Okay. So anyway, so with that, the geology of the area, like I said, was a lot of folding, a lot of volcanic activity. So when the river came through, it eroded out a bunch of the, uh, of the what, real old, uh, Carboniferous limestones from the Mississippian and Pennsylvanian period, and filled the whole valley up with alluvium. Then there were a lot of faults, cracked faults, and through the rock. One of the largest faults is right behind the museum here. Oh, really? And what happens now is the water comes from the, about the San Mateo Mountains, okay. which is northwest of us, goes deep underneath but to about a mile or so. It gets heated up by the groundwater down because there's, it's very hot down there. And it comes up this fault that's behind the museum and spreads into the river alluvium where all the hot springs are. Really? So now you have a hot water district, which we're sitting in the middle of, just outside the museum here is where the first hot springs were the healing waters where the Apache Indians used to come to heal. Okay. And then the white man came, and of course there was a little bit of a dispute about who owns the hot springs. That's another whole long story. But anyway, this whole town is full of hot spring spas. Uh, artesian hot spring spas, most of the homes down in this area each have their own hot springs tub. Do they heat with the hot water too? Or? No, they do not heat with it. It's not quite hot enough. Okay. Unlike the hot springs up in Pagosa Springs, this is only about 107 degrees where the hot springs up in Pagosa Springs can get much hotter and they heat the entire downtown. Really? With the hot springs. Okay. Can't quite do that with this water. But also, this water is very odor-free. So there's very low sulfur. It's all silicon and sodium and magnesium rich. So the minerals in the hot springs here are, are very good for healing. And people come from all over the world just to soak in the hot springs here because of the healing waters. Okay, so they're high in magnesium. So it would be, be like having a hot bath in Epsom salts. Exactly, exactly. Only better. Really? So it, it, it is so nice. Now, is it super mineralized? It's very, very, very high mineralized. And that's why... 
there's so many mines around here because a lot of the hot water came up in the cracks in the because of all the tectonic activity the water came up through those cracks and deposited tons of quartz and calcite and and other minerals same same water only it was hotter back in the about 20 30 right. million years ago or 10 million years ago than it is now but it's still most of the water comes up about 107 degrees here and so that's you still a, plenty warm that's still plenty warm and so you've got old hotels like the uh, Charles which is an old 50s type hotel that has hot water mineral baths all the way down to Riverbend which has the fanciest uh, hot water springs Ted Turner's and also down at, at Blackstone really fancy hot water springs okay but that's how that water flows. So we have a room here that is full of the types of minerals that you find in western New Mexico. So you can come, if you take a look here, we've got beautiful crystals. And you can't oh, see it on wow. the podcast. These are all the types of minerals that, are located, that you find in, in western New Mexico. And you've got lots of crystals, like the fluoride crystals. You've got uh, the hal halorite. Halite, ha which is salt. That is really cool. It almost looks like a mica that is blue. Beautiful. It's a blue salt, yeah. Wow. And so you've got that, so that the John. Yeah. And then selenite. You've got selenite, which is and it, sorry, it's scratched up a little. Got scratched in up. At, most of these came from the museum in Socorro. The the mineral museum in Socorro is one of the finest okay. mineral museums in the country, and it's right up here, sixty miles up the road at New Mexico Tech. Really worth, really worth the visit. This is part of their backstock. Some of the stuff okay. that they were getting rid of. Oh, so they gave it to they us. Could have, yeah, I was going to say they this is fantastic stuff. And so Smoky I have a relationship quartz. with the people up there. But this is the copper that comes from up at Silver City. You got this is the type of manganese ore I was telling you about that okay. came down at Lake Valley. Uh, Smoky quartz, which is up north and east of us. Uh, calcite here we have a mineral called smithsonite which is a very uh very common that's not a common mineral looking like this it looks more like this when they mine it that's a very that's a, a source of zinc in the area we have petrified wood here just all kinds of beautiful but this is a really good example of beautiful quartz and fluorite wow and when we're look when we're looking at these at these specimens that you have uh, my mind immediately goes to a specimen that is maybe two inches by two inches. These ones here are all big rocks. These I are mean, big rocks. This one right here has got to be 18 inches 18 long inches. And, and 12 inches wide. Yeah. And it's, just full of the crystals. So another thing that happened, we had a, used to be, a, a, this all used to be underwater. So nearby, there are all kinds of fossils, of fossil clams and, and crinoids and old, you know, different kinds of plants. But more recently, about 10 million years ago or 20 million years ago, the, uh, the mastodons and mammoths ro uh, roamed the earth. And this, uh, we have two mastodon skulls that were, take, that were collected up by Elephant Butte Lake about five miles from here. Okay. This is that why it's called Elephant Butte? No, it's called Elephant Butte because there's a butte there that looks a lot like an elephant standing oh, there. Oh, and it just happens to be mammoths. Yeah, these just happen to be mastodons. <laughs> these are mastodons. This one here, the lady you were just talking to, discovered this particular mastodon skull. Really? 
Anne yeah. discovered this. Anne discovered. And Anne takes us through the history over here and doesn't even mention what she's famous for. No. What a humble lady. <laughs> so we have beautiful uh, example of a mastodon skull found locally. We had, she had to really talk to the people at the at the uh, Bureau of Mines to let us keep it. And, and how then, did she find it? She was just she sitting was just, on a rock. She was hiking, and it was sticking out. And so she started to, to uncover it. And next thing you know. She's got this mastodon found. So she is famous. Wow. <laughs> her 15 minutes of fame. Her 15, her 15 <laughs> so, minutes. Hey, you're, we're still talking about it, and I know this has been here longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've also, you know, this is a piece of, a big piece of mastodon poop from the ah, same area. Cropolite. Cropolite, yeah. I got a friend that collects that stuff and, and polishes it up and makes it all pretty. Uh, mm -hmm. Some pretty cool stuff. He'll be excited to see this. Oh yeah. So this is just. A, now did Ann find that too? <laughs> I don't know. You, did you find the copolite? You didn't find the poop. So you found the head, but not the tail. <laughs> so anyway, and in this museum, we have a display here that talks about the hot springs and the geology of the area. This gives a, an example of what the what the deposit looks like. This is that fault that's going up behind the museum here. Okay. And you can see where the water got into there, and these are a location of all the wells that they studied. This uh, paper was written in 2014, but there's been a whole lot more uh, uh, wells drilled. And at one time, the water was 114 degrees. Okay. So it's only it 107 now. Yeah. So anyway, but the mineral history and the geologic history and all the fossil history here is really amazing. Yes. I am just, just looking at this stuff is, is amazing. Yeah, so we have a whole display of fossils that were found in this area. Uh, we have the, our local, local rock club, Sierra County Rock and Gem Society, has taken over this room and, and we keep trying to improve it and make it look really world class. We have a display of their minerals here. And just throw a little plug, we have a rock and gem show coming up at the end of March. Every year? Every year. So it's up here, it's, it's here in town at the, uh, at the fair barn, and anybody that's listening wants to come out to our Rock and Gem show, cool. we'd love to have them. And at the same time, the museum is holding a fundraiser dinner. Okay. So. Well, that sounds like, like a good time. We went to the Gem and Mineral show in Tucson last year. Oh. Some, it just yeah. blows your mind. Blows your mind. And that, oh. yeah, last year they did a special on fluorescent minerals. So if you come around this corner and hit that little green button. Little on the right green button right there. Okay. And let me close this behind you. You may want to come in and see this. Oh, yeah. Fluorescent mineral display. All those fluorescent minerals are so cool. Ooh, and it starts out with short wavelength light. And the person that put this together is part of the uh, national, he's also local, he's part, is member of the national fluorescent mineral display. So you, now the short wave light will come Ooh. on, and look at that. That's Those cool. really light up. And you've yeah. got about 100 different specimens yes. in here. Yes, and just gorgeous. Many of those are from western New Mexico. A couple are from the east that are, that are classic fluorescent minerals. And you'll notice that when the light turns off, the mineral in the black will keep will keep glowing. So this is under both lights, short and long wave. Wow. And you've got blues and reds and 
yes. and pinks and oranges. Uh, some of them almost look like glowing coals. Yes, They're so they orange. And yes, they do. Wow. And it's just, I mean... It's just beautiful. And that, see how oh, that last that. one stayed lit up? Yeah. It does. That has a special characteristic to it when the light, when the light was formed with the atoms moving back and uh -huh. forth. Or the, actually the electrons in the atoms moving back and forth. And when the light goes off, typically they stop moving. And that one, they keep bouncing back and forth. That's interesting. Wow. After, the light, after the ultraviolet light goes off. Wow. That is so cool. And th so... Do you have any more questions about the minerals and history? Well, I, I guess I do because when we were driving around, you've got a lot of old, I would say, ghost towns or just old towns that, yes. uh, that we saw. And those mines are all closed down. Those mines are all closed. But were, they, were they real profitable in their day? Yes, or? they were. You go up there towards Hillsboro and uh -huh. Hillsboro and, and Kingston used to be the, the bit largest towns. In, in Western And New how Mexico. big was Hillsboro? Hills, I don't remember. Do you know how large Hillsboro was back in that time? But it was a hop in place around 10,000 people or something. Really? Like that. And now it's got probably 200? Uh, if that many. But it's a quaint little town. I mean, oh, I really, I really enjoyed going through there. And then what was the other one that we went to that was over the hill from there? Uh, Kingston. No. Did we make it to Kingston yesterday? Yes, we yeah, did. We, we made it to Kingston. And again, it's it's a small town, right? Very very small. Kingston only had what, maybe fifty people. Fifty people, and we have friends up there. Seven thousand people, and then all around, if you head south, you go to a little area called Lake Valley, all different kinds of mines. So this whole area, there are little ghost towns, and you'll see towns where there's nothing left except the foundations. Right. Yeah. And those are all little mining towns all over the place. Its entire west of, of New Mexico was all about mining. If you go further north, up, and, up towards uh, Grants and Gallup, you had a lot of uranium mines up there okay. in the 50s when the uranium boom was going on. That's where I got my start. I was a uranium mineralogist in the 60s and 70s. Okay. So I mean, now, can I ask a really stupid question? That's no, there's no stupid question. Oh well, this one, this one borderlines it. Okay, so you have these guys that are coming out from, let's say, New York, and they're coming out here because of the mineral booms, and going to make it big, digging for gold, silver, copper, whatever it may be, including my family. Uh, okay, so they come out here and they go to the local hardware store and they buy a shovel. How do they know, if they're not geologists, where to start digging a hole so that they might find something well, that's worth keeping? There's a little bit of information. <laughs> if what they look for, there's a couple things that they would look for. You'd look for a really fractured rock with a lot of white mineralization or reddish-brown mineralization, which they call the gossam. And they would follow that. They'd start chipping away until they found a seam, just a little seam in a, in a quartz dike, with mineralization in it and then they would start blasting and following that all the way so most of your minerals uh copper minerals of course the, the copper mineral deposits out here are more of a porphyry type that means it's got large chunks but you know large chunks inside of of, of harder rock but a lot of these, the old uh, manganese mines, the old fluorite mines, the old gold mines, the old silver mines, that's exactly what these old prospectors would do, and they'd chip away. Very few of them actually hit it rich. Okay. But those that did made a ton of money. 
and they would play out those gold and silver seams and stuff until it was all all done. My contention is that there's still more down there than what they've taken out. Oh, you would think. I would think so because you know it's. Just... But but these guys that came from from different places had the knowledge to be able to figure out or because they weren't geologists. Or they just learned from other miners. You know, somebody would say, come out here and say, I want to strike it rich. Where do I go and what do I look for? Well, that's how they, that's how it happened. And I come from an old family of miners. My, uh, my father was a miner. My dad was a miner. I mean, and his father was a miner. And the, uh, and, uh, some cards there in here. Yeah, all my aunts and uncles were miners. Wow! So that's how that's how I got into geology. I, my dad got me a job in a in a mine once up in Telluride to show me what I didn't want to do for a living. <laughs> well, that was good. That was good. <laughs> so, but just a uh, uh, yeah, the geology here is fascinating, and it's it's very very complex compared to uh, many other areas of the country. Okay. Yeah, this is just so fascinating. I don't want that on there. So. Okay, let me see if I can find... Hey, Jeff? Jeff's here. Jeff, you're up. You're up. Now, this, this, is, this is Jeff, and he is an expert at the pottery. Good to meet you, Jeff. And especially the arrowheads that you're going to see, and it's a world-class... I can hardly wait to see it. It's right here, just down that little... down that aisle. It's good to meet you, Jeff. We are from Wyoming. Basin, Wyoming, to be exact, and uh, we've got a little museum up there in Thermopolis that has quite the collection of uh, arrowheads also, have you seen but this yet? I have not. I am very excited to see it. Just walking down the, the aisle here, you guys have tons of pottery. This is unbelievable. Yeah, so, you know. So you're talking a, you're talking a period of uh, 8,000 years before present. Okay, right. that's that's an interesting way to to document it. Instead of AC or AD and BC, mm -hmm. you've got BP, which is before present. Mm -hmm. So eight thousand year old arrowheads on up. Now, what kind of what kind of method were they using to shoot these projectiles? Were those on arrows, like with a bow? Was it spear, no. atlatl? The atlatl darts were prominent in this area until 1500 years ago when the self-bow showed up. Okay. And when um, you find a point, you can tell whether it's an atlatl dart or an arrow point by the distance of the sides or the notches. So if you look at these little things here, right, those would go on a real tiny shaft, so those would have been arrow points. That one maybe also, but that one, no. That's really okay, because that one's wide. So that would have been and short. So it's probably an inch long and probably three quarters of an inch wide, mm -hmm. inch and a half long maybe, and the one right above it would be maybe a half inch wide and the same length, mm -hmm. about an inch and a half long. So that one? one would have been on an arrow. Like that. That one would have been atlatl. That would have been atlatl. Really? Okay, now talk a little bit about the atlatl. We we looked at the one over there. I kind of described what it was. But uh, maybe describe a little bit about the accuracy that they were able to get with it. Uh, maybe the the amount of projectile. Uh, what, it, what it did is it it's a, acts as a lever and gives you more leverage when you're throwing the 
throwing the dart. Right. So by giving you that extra leverage and snap at the end, instead of doing this, it does that. It runs straight instead yeah, of arches. The velocity goes way up. Okay, and, and what are we talking about the difference in velocity between maybe throwing a spear and, and an atlas? It's the difference between hitting a tennis ball with a tennis racket versus throwing a tennis ball with your arm. Okay. And I've got I've got one of those chuckets for the dogs, you know. They, exactly. They, they That's throws the exact tennis ball same further. Thing. Right. It's but but I cannot get any accuracy. I've tried I've tried like you would not believe to throw that ball and hit a target, whether it's a tree or a rock or whatever. And the closest I can get is probably ten feet. Uh, no consistency whatsoever. The, the accuracy will go up with the amount of hunger you're experiencing. Is that the way that works? Well, when you're hunting with an atlatl, you get good at throwing it at what you're aiming for or else you go hungry. Well, they must have spent hours and hours. But I've got a lot of hours on that chocolate, and I still can't. I mean, and I'm not hungry. They start from the time they can walk, right. watching Dad. Right. And by the time they're capable of using one, they're, they're pretty good at it. And they were able to bring down mammoths and, and other very large yes, animals. There's an the example that showed up in Arizona. Um, a flash flood revealed the remains of a mastodon. Okay. Okay. It was laying in a, what had been a river or a, a small impound of water, a little pond. The people that killed it took the meat as far as they could get. Okay. They left half of it basically oh, really? in the mud. So years later, it gets exposed again. They pull out this half a mastodon. And on the other side, there were 27 stemmed points in mm. it. Really? So it was a, a matter of get up, hit it, get away, chase it, hit it, get away. And these creatures, as they started to realize they're in trouble, were dying, they would head for water instinctively. Okay. So that's what this thing did. It went to the water, it died. They recovered about half the meat and left it for the next 8,000 years. Wow. 27 points. 27 on just that one side. On one side. So it wasn't just like you throw it, it hits them, and they fall over dead like in the movies. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sure it happened at sometimes, but most of the time... It was more a bleed-out situation. Exactly, death through a thousand cuts. Wow. That is just, that, that's just an amazing and thought. You saw the mastodon skulls in there, so right. you can imagine a full-size mastodon. Huge. And they were probably like a rhino. They could probably move at the same speed a rhino could. And you you got to get within 20, 40 yards to make the connection with the dart. Well, so the, you're risking the... your life every time you take a shot at the thing. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but, but to be able to get the penetration into vital areas has I, got, I, I mean, with, with any, even like with a bow, uh, with a stone tip, I just, it seems like it'd be more of a bounce off the, the hide than what it is penetrate. I'm sure there were a lot that bounced off the hide. And so, I guess my next question is, you've got all of these points. Were these points recovered very often, or did they just remanufacture new ones? Good question. I know um, I'm asking things that you weren't there to see, and would probably love to have been there to see. But A lot of the points, well, here we got a really good example. We have got what was once probably a knife because that's a little too wide. That one was a dart. So that has been reshaped along with these to act as scrapers. Okay. So an older culture makes the point. 
they go out, they hunt, they lose it for whatever reason, they don't take it with them. Another culture comes along and goes, aha, look yeah. at this nice sharp thing I found. I'm going to use it, break it, sharpen it, break it, use it until you get these little nubs. Most all of these are not brand new. They've okay. all been broken and worn down. You can really see it in the asymmetry of some of them. You can see this okay, one. See right. how that one edge is a little bit off from that edge? Right. It's no longer capable of being a, a projectile. Now it is a cutting tool. Okay. Oh. So they were repurposed over and over again. Yeah, there's a, a, there is a progression. So they would start with a blank. Okay. A preform. There's a good example of right. a preform. They would use it as a cutting tool, and then when they needed a projectile point, they would sharpen it and make, make it into a projectile point. Really? When the projectile point would break, you'd find pieces of it and use the pieces to cut, scrape, whatever. Wow. So that's why the Clovis and Folsom cultures that were some of the first cultures here, their points are really rare because not only do you have modern-day collectors going after these things, in the past, every culture that came after them would find them and reuse them and repurpose them. Oh, that makes wow. sense. Wow. But yeah, I've never heard it described that way. If you should go out to Ingle, where the Armadaris Ranch headquarters is out there, they have their collection that was taken off the ranch there, and they have a Clovis point that has been repurposed into a drill. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's just, that's amazing. And, and what size drill? It's a very fine drill, isn't no, it? No, it's going to be pretty coarse. Is drill. it? Okay. We went to the Bead Museum in uh, Prescott, Arizona, and he had a drill that was, that was made like an arrowhead mm -hmm. uh, out of stone, and the, the point on it was probably like eighth inch, mm -hmm. and they were using it in a hand drill. Yes. Very similar to that, mm -hmm. all except it was this. This one's probably three quarter inch point that's tapered, but mm -hmm. the one that he had was probably an inch and a half long. Uh, v yes, very much like it's that. It's missing one. its base, but that's a pretty much a, okay. a very fine. I would say that's more of a pin than a drill, because drilling you're putting torque. Right. So when you find a drill that's broken, it's usually broken because of the torque. Okay. Um, some. Some of the drilling for uh, like that, right, could have been made with a point. Okay, just just twisting, twisting, turn it, it over and twist again. We're looking at what's called a whorl. It's a piece of pottery that has been made into a circular plate, a circular right. disc, and it's about an and inch and, and a half round. With a hole through the center, and it would have been used in spinning, spinning wool as a, as a weight. Wool, plant fibers. Okay, we're not sure, but we know that. Contemporary, they have things very similar to that. Right. Spinning. And, and it makes a weight to where it'll allow the fibers to, to right, spin, spin. And, and work into each other. You've got some necklaces here. Yes, these are the recent donation. These are all shell and associated with, with some turquoise. But you can see how they would shape some of the beads rather than just a, the standard he-she right. style beads where they'd make a hole and then run the outsides. And a lot of these the arrowhead and, and spear point uh, displays have different shell beads and some of that mm -hmm. in them. Again, the people that were putting amazing. these together were probably a violation of one of the laws about digging graves and because okay. they were digging up sites, which is totally illegal today. Right. 
So that's why we have such a high collection of beads. Usually you don't find that many on the surface of your surface hunting. Okay. Yeah, this is just amazing. Just absolutely amazing at all the different points. Now, are these ones here really primitive? Yeah, you can see the crudeness of that. That could have been a preform or a blade. That is definitely a, a repeating stabbing um, uh, spear point. And what kind of rocks were they using for the spear points here? I know obsidian was really popular. and Anything that was highly uh, vitreous, glass-like, so that right. it broke with a conchoidal fracture, very sharp edges. Obsidian is volcanic glass, so that was probably one of the finest choices you could get. It's some of the finest things we have are made from obsidian. But there's also cherts and other materials that have a high silica content that allow for the for them to manufacture these things in a predictable way because right. you know how it's going to break you can build a well, flint napping is a real skill i've, I've seen is. some modern day flint nappers and i there again i guess if you're doing if you're making these things from the time you're a kid and your life depends on it because that's what you're using to hunt mm -hmm. you probably get pretty proficient but i would assume that there were probably people in the tribe that were much better at at hunting and others that were maybe better at flint napping. Yeah. There's a lot of trade in flint and flint tools. Uh-huh. Um, between the tribes? Between the cultures. Okay. Yeah, okay, he said cultures. Yeah, yeah. tribal is too modern for me. Um, we're looking back at people that came to this landscape and there wasn't anybody really here. Okay. And it was so underpopulated that it wasn't until the Puebloan period when the, the cultures were expanding out and trading their pottery, their baskets, their arrowheads in a nice little triangle of trade in the southwest here with turquoise going south, macaw feathers and turkeys coming north out of Mexico, trade with Arizona for the obsidian points, Okay. trade with uh, salt. You know, all these things were mined and traded around for going back thousands of years. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Linda. Is are these uh, sharpening tools, or are they making some kind of hammer? These are shaft abraders. So okay, we're looking we're looking at a rock here that's probably two inches round and would fit in the palm of your hand it looks like really nice and has a groove right through the middle of it right so when you think about it what's the hardest thing of a projectile it's not the point it's the straight stick that it's attached to right. okay. so these are shaft abraders so they would have a matching pair of these things and they would pull the shaft through there to heat okay. it up bend it scrape it pull it until they tried to get it go straight now were they using steam or were they just using heat um, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Because I, I know that steaming wood, you can, you can make, do a lot of things. Yeah, steaming and bending. Do we have any sign that they had a vessel that would make steam? Well, they, I doubt it. I really do, because they were cooking in pottery. And right. I don't know if they had a way to steam the whole piece of wood. I think mostly they shaved it and bent and shaved it and bent and heated it. Heated okay. the wood directly mm -hmm. to help pull the pull the twist out of it or pull the bend out of it because again finding a straight stick in nature with the exception of reeds but even those have a bend to them right so 
I would, yeah, yeah, not just looping as <laughs> right. it's going, but but you'd have to learn how to shoot around corners. So that brings us back forty to, yards. That brings us back to the at level dart. There seems to be two technologies, two two schools. One was a heavy clunky rock on the end of the shaft, and that massive weight out front, and the shaft acted like the stabilizer. Okay. And then later they went to lighter points, lighter stones on the tip, and fleshing on the back. Mm. So you had stabilization that way okay who knows which came first but when you look at the points i mean that would have been a pretty heavy clunky rock right at the end of the thing versus one of these over here mm -hmm. it would have been much lighter so which yeah. again with the heavier clunky rock the penetration would be harder to the hide you would think yeah but the velocities would be lower okay because you're moving a larger mass with your throat right right whereas if you have a lighter Dart, you have better trajectory, greater speed, and thus more kinetic energy. Okay. Where you're you're relying on the mass to create the kinetic energy. This way, the whole dart is creating the kinetic energy. And they extrapolated that when they went to the bow, because the arrows are much lighter and smaller, with a very small point on the end of it, and yet they're able to take down large game. Right. You know, these little points, people call them bird points. These were just as useful bringing down a deer than as they would be a rabbit or a deer, uh, small bird. Yeah, it's a matter of the, right. the injury that you can inflict. And in the other case with the atlatl, there were some shafts there and tips. There were nine tips that were made out of hardwood. So they used hardwood tips on the atlatl themselves. They also used them on arrows. Okay. Because not everybody can make a arrowhead. This so just a sharpened stick. Right. Now, now, you've got bones in here that are also uh, ground down to a point. Right. These are these pin-looking things are, are bone, and some of them are very favored. They have little holes drilled through them to retain them. Um, and some of these are like really 8, 10 inches long right. uh, and narrow, sharpened bones. Some of them could have been used as pins for blankets around okay. your body to hold them in. But we had a volunteer who said no. She took one and wrapped her hair with it and stuck it in her okay. hair. So they were utilitarian. We okay. know that they used them because there's, like this one is highly polished. Right. And you know, these ones are favored so they didn't lose them. So I could see that as being something that might hold the, the cloak together. Um, if they had a, a shelter made from hide or something that could also close the door. Right. We, they didn't leave us writing, so we have to just have the evidence we have, and the speculation can go far afield. But the reality is, they were favored, they were reused. Some of them were incised. Okay. Like that one right there has three little lines across right. it. Somebody took the time to pretty up their pin. Okay. And so, so they wouldn't have used uh, the bones as an arrow point, more than likely. Yeah, these I wouldn't say were ever used as arrow points because the tips are so perfect. Right. If they were using them as arrow points or projectiles, you'd see the tips would damage. Okay. And then, you know, they could have also been used as you know, right. uh, a self-defense mechanism, but I think everybody back then were so busy gathering and feeding themselves that they didn't have time to play silly games. <laughs> We'd like to think that would. We'd we? like to think you that. You shot my deer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then we come on into the pottery end of things. Right. 
We're starting at the back end here. This is a little collection of small miniature pottery and animal figurines that have been associated with children. Okay. Um, I've heard both grave goods and toys. Who knows? Who knows? But okay. I, we've made a little collection of them here close to the glass where you can see them close up. And we've got little figurines of, of uh, pottery pots, like for carrying water, mm -hmm. uh, one with a handle on it, several that are kind of bowl shaped. We've got a dinosaur looking one here. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. It is very interesting because they did not coexist, but we're thinking this is just a imaginary. And, and what, what's the dinosaur that looks like that? A triceratops? But it's not a triceratops. I think it's more of an antelope or something. Okay. It looks like the fattest antelope I've ever this seen. This one looks like a pig. That one does look like a pig. But it could also be a dog. And then you've got one that looks maybe like a bighorn sheep. Right. I would imagine bighorn sheep, but that was one of their favorite foods. Right. So they would have put their favorite things that they were hunting out there for the kids to play with. What I like is the, the, the painting on some of these little pots are so detailed, like the adult size pots. Yes. But this was not just something they threw together quickly about thought. They put some thought into this. Yeah. Yeah, because they are painted up nice and, and a lot like the, the big pots that they have. Um, just to get to this little display here, we have three arrows in this case. They came from the Apache kid murder site when they murdered him okay. up in the San Mateos. These were in his his camp. Really? And from what I've been told by the archaeologists is these metal-tipped points are some of the uh, finest arrows they've ever seen. No. Really? These are made from Apache plume. And they had flights. Oh, I, I, I don't know what kind of bird that was. But uh, the, the, the interest generated by these three points was amazing. And where did, and, and where did they find them? I mean, they, they found, found them at the camp of the Apache kid. Right. In the 1890s when they murdered him up there. He was the last free roaming. And how did you guys acquire him? I'm not clear on that. Somebody donated this to us, and she had had them for a long time. So, yeah, we don't know. Wow. I, I mean, we could look it up in the records. I don't personally know. Okay. But yeah, the museum has records on this. Wow. Okay, and then you've got a couple of bracelets that came from yes, the same site. Yes, same thing. One of these bracelets has got designs on it, and the interest is that the designs were done by a very prominent silversmith. Okay. This would be some of his first works. Okay. So, yeah, very interesting. Cool. That is interesting. It's a shame that we don't have his rifle because when the Apache kid was killed, he was using a 3040 Krag. Oh, so really? Military surplus. Yeah. Well, and that would have been the early 1900s. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was around the turn of the century when they, they caught up with him and, and did him in. Wow. And was he causing lots of problems at that time? He was the last wild Apache, so raiding and stealing horses, cows was the way he knew how to do things. Okay. And he wasn't going to quit his cultural <laughs> traditions. Right. Well. <laughs> and the Anglos got tired of it and hunted him down and basically murdered him. Huh. Wow. Okay. So that brings us back to our ceramic collection. I am not the expert on the ceramics, but we have a very large collection. Very large. Several different varieties and cultures have made these 
We have everything from the blackened cooking ware to the very finely painted uh, members pots with the bowls with the images inside of them. And very intricate painted designs mm -hmm. and, and all. Okay, now, in relation, I'm, I'm going to ask another question, I guess, and, and maybe totally off base, but in relation to this pottery and the uh, petroglyphs and pictographs, where does these time frames fit in? The reason I ask is because I have this big curiosity about why these natives were able to design stuff that is so intricate, so finely tuned, and yet the best they can do is draw something that looks like a balloon with horns coming out of it for, for elk. <laughs> well, you, you have two issues here. When you're doing a petroglyph, you're knocking the patina off the rock. Okay. And that takes a lot of work and effort to, to peck out your petroglyph. Right. A pictograph is where they're taking the red paint or the paint right. painting on it. This is more like pictograph because they're painting on. But the, the pictograph still look like a third grade drawing versus right, because uh, a lot somebody of, that's, that's got real artistic my skill. My understanding of the petroglyph pictographs is that was a representation of a vision. Okay. That might explain. A lot of this is symbolic. So we have a lot of symbology that could also be extrapolated to the earlier pectoglyphs. Okay. Um, I've tried to find out which cultures did this. It's very confusing and hard to say who picked up the rock and knocked the patina off just based on the styles. But we do know who made these pots, okay. these bowls. And who was that? Well, this is the <laughs> muggy on whiteware and the member's bold face. Okay, and we're talking about AD 750 to 1130, so about right. a 400 so, year, 500 year span. Right, so not that long ago. Okay. When you're looking at projectile points that go back 13,000 years right. or more, even more. Wow, this is quite the collection. And all this stuff was found right here in this area? No. Okay. A lot of it was found in the mountains around this area, on ranches and other places. Um, again, I don't have the records of who donated all of this or where it came from, but I'm sure somewhere in their archives we have that information. Well, we How, had a sign up there, but it's gone. Yeah, we took it down because it's not a good idea to tell who donated what. Okay, <laughs> and this is this is some amazing pottery work. You've got uh, bowls with a fish in the uh, painted in the bottom. Uh, one with it looks like a bee, uh, a honeybee kinda. Mm -hmm. You've got birds. Uh, that one back there, even I can just about identify that that's a grouse of some sort. It looks like a turkey to me. Or a turkey. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Kind of a turtle over here, another fish. Mm -hmm. This one's got to be a hummingbird. Yep. Uh, along with all the, the geometric designs that, that you normally see on pottery. And a lot of this stuff is, is fully complete. It's not just shards. Right. And you can see exactly what the bowls were. You've got dipping bowls like for water Mm -hmm. and carrying bowls like for water or, or grains or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the little, see the little one on the shelf back there? It looks like a little bird with right. a fuzzy head. 
that has got some seeds in it. Oh, does it? There would have been a seed jar for wow. replanting, whatever. Okay. The dippers, I had never seen a dipper before I came to this museum. Well, I don't know I that found, I have. I found pieces and parts of them in, uh -huh. the, in the trash piles that these people left, but I'd never seen a complete one. We've got at least half a dozen. At least, well, more than that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got lots of them and they're complete. They don't even have right. breaks on the bottom. So they would have used that for dipping water out or dipping food out of the, the, the cooking ware. Yeah. Now, now the w little one that you pointed out to at the beginning with the, that looks kind of like a bird, mm -hmm. it's about the size of a pie bird. And I was going to say somebody was getting lucky and, and eating lots of pie in the teepee, but <laughs> it's a seed carrier. Yeah. And I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's human hair. <coughs> oh, is as it? As a stopper. Yeah. Oh, okay, as a stopper in the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is just so cool. You've got so many neat pieces. Okay, now you've got this one pot that uh, looks, it, it's round and has a, a shaft that comes up that's about an inch and a half round that's hollow, like for filling the, the pot. But you've got some round... Uh, cone-shaped beads or something on there. Do you know what those are? No, I don't. I don't even know if those two are associated with each other. Okay, but they're, yeah, but but that's interesting looking, the way yeah, that those... We, we've had 50 years of people coming through this museum and setting up these displays. So unless there's some documentation that said that those two went together, right. I guess is they put that on there just to add some pop. Yeah, no, it, it, and then they look ornamental. More yeah, than what they it looks do, like something functional. that they would have worn around their neck. Wow. It's just amazing looking at these. Oh, there's a cool one. You've got one that looks like a bear, kind of a fat bear, with an open underneath a, a ceramic handle. Like a little clay basket almost. Yeah, it's just got a small opening, but it, it looks like a, a bear. Yeah, some of the Casas Grande where they did that... Um, and the painting the on it's really cool, too. Mm -hmm. The tricolors. This is just amazing, the collection that you've got here. You could look at this for hours, at just the different designs and, and different things. Yes, we're always glad to have people who are researching this stuff come. We will let them access our collections if they can prove that they're actually researching something from a university. Okay. Uh, same with the arrowheads. We have about 26 more... Riker mounts. Oh, really? Just full of points. Wow. Once in displays that were around the museum. Um, they were degrading, the, the glue was failing, and the points were falling off, so we decided to take them out and put them in the, in the right mounting. Right. So that we can access them and look at them close up. Cool. And I really like this one here. This is a canteen. It's got to be a canteen, I would think. I would have to say that they tied some cords to that and were carrying it around, and it's a nice way to keep your water. Yeah, it's, it, it's a ball that's probably uh, two times the size of a, of a softball, and it's got these two little knobs with a, with a bigger area on the top of them, like for wrapping a rawhide around it mm -hmm. and carrying it around your neck or on your side, mm -hmm. and then it's got an opening in the top that's uh, kind of raised up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these, and these bigger pots, they're mostly storage jars. Okay. For water or foodstuffs, grains, soup. Right. Just really don't know. Just amazing. And all the different colors and uh, of clay mm -hmm. and, and different colors of paints. 
And we are working on getting them all labeled and identified. Okay. And again, I'm not the ceramics expert. So when we do get the ceramic experts here, we will try to finish labeling all the rest of these. This is a new display. This was all in storage. Okay. Both of these, so we took a lot of the nicer stuff out of storage to get it out here. Cool. So we do have a, a, an overload. Okay. Well, and it's <laughs> so pottery. nicely displayed. I mean, you can see every single piece the way you've got it set in here. Mm -hmm. And this is just absolutely fantastic. Okay, so you have more to show us, or is this kind of... This is kind of it for the arrowheads. Okay, well, I need to get Anne, because yes, Anne's going to take us through the Geronimo Geron display. Anne, I'm going to go grab her hand. Okay. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, taking my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> this has been just, this museum is so cool. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things here. They're just yeah, precious. The cowboy room here. Well, she was going to take us to the Geronimo room, but I'm seeing that we got the cowboy room and we got this room over here. This is the... <clears throat> I'll go get her. Yeah, no, this has got the Carrie Tingley Hospital. Um, it's the Veterans Center now. Uh huh. Was the Carrie Tingley Hospital for Children. Oh. Polio. Okay. This was built right around the turn of the century. Okay. Are you an expert in that area too? I'm not. Anne is. Oh, well. <laughs> what are we experting? Well, we're, we were going to look at the Geronimo room, but I see that we got two other rooms, and he was just telling us this was a polio room or polio hospital. Carrie Tingley was a polio. Hospital. Right. For kids. Well, let's go talk about it. Oh, okay. Because I don't know a lot about polio. You better picture well, <laughs> there's not much in here about it. Oh, there's not? And no, the, on these leaves is our entire county history. Okay. And, and there's a page or two on Carrie Chingley in here somewhere. Okay. Do you know what this machine is? Uh, that was a dentist's machine of some sort, but no. Okay. I do not know. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, this, this has a lot of old medical equipment in it, typewriters. Uh, and these are graduates from Hot Springs High School from 1930-something. And I don't think they brought them up through the 20s yet. Okay. You've got some old cameras and some, it looks like uh, court reporter machines yeah. and adding machines. And just a, a basic display of... Uh, and this is kind of our medical... Uh, we had Magnolia Ellis, who was a, a magnetic healer. A magnetic healer? Yes. Her building is straight down the street, still has her name on it, but uh, she's long gone, but she would rub you, and we, it brought people here by the hundreds. And they would go make appointments, and she would go and give them a treatment, and they everybody swore by her. Brought lots and lots of people here. And she she treated people with magnets. Is that no? What? Her hand. She had a oh, she had a magnetic okay something in her hand. Okay, wow. And did she use that in in uh, conjunction with the hot springs or? Uh, yeah. Well, now they come take the baths and they go see Magnolia and leave happy. Wow, that is interesting. And then we have. Uh, room, the military room, with yes. a monster flag. That flag looks huge. Yes, that flew over uh, when they dedicated the dam, Elephant Butte Dam. Oh, okay. It was. It flew over the um, 
ceremony. Okay. And, it, it's, and th that was the only time it flew? Or? I, I imagine it is so enormous. Everybody comes in here and just has a fit because it's it's so big. And we we, we don't have a place to show it, you yeah. know, as big as it is. So it, we do huge. the best we can. Wow. It's 8 foot 11 inches by 17 foot. And it was uh, at the dam dedication in 1916. Wow. This is just so cool. And this is kind of the dam being built. Okay. And that was the railroad that ran through Ingle from El Paso to Albuquerque. Okay. And, and the depot was there. Uh, is the depot still here in town? Uh, no, it was out at Ingle. Ingle, out in okay. Ingle is 17 miles west oh. of here. Okay. And, and no, they've torn, they've torn all the uh, buildings that had to do with the railroad down. Okay. So the railroad still goes there, but it... But there's no station. And no station. Okay. And now we're going to go to the Geronimo room. Yes. But before we go to the Geronimo room, I got to have a little bit of uh, backstory on your finding of the Mastodon. Oh, well... I was just out running my dogs one day, and there was this white stuff on top of the ground, and I just kind of—it was a real sandy slope. Uh huh. And I just kind of did this, and and more white stuff fell off, and I thought, oh, that's a petrified wood's what it looked like. Uh huh. And so I kind of covered it back up and went on, and two three days later, my friend came with me, and we were walking the dogs again. And I said, let me show you this petrified wood that I found over here. So we went over there, and she said, let's dig on this because it's real sandy. So we started digging, and we came to the teeth, you know. Uh -huh. We recognized it was teeth, and we thought, no, this isn't petrified wood. So uh, we went, went into town to the science teacher at the middle school, and we took him out there, and he said he didn't know what it was. And so he called uh, New Mexico Tech and Socorro. Okay. And he sent Dr. Wolberg down, and he came down, and he went out there, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, oh, Mastodon skull. But he thought it was just going to be the jaw. Uh-huh. And he got so excited because it was the whole The whole thing. thing. So they sent a team down here, and the newspapers came, and the TV came, and that's when I was famous for 15 minutes. And uh, they dug it up and took it back up to Socorro because it was just coated in sand, uh -huh. you know, plastered, and chiseled it all out and got, got it cleaned up. And then we went to work trying to get it back down here, which... We had to go through Congress. To oh, jeez! And we finally got it. <laughs> wow, that is such a cool piece. Yeah, yes. Okay, so now we're in the Geronimo room. Let's talk about Geronimo. Uh, Geronimo was uh, a small man because people come in here and say he's so little. Well, he was small. Uh, he was a very angry man because his uh, wife, mother, and four children were killed by Mexicans. Okay. And as a result, he hated Mexicans. So he spent most of his life going back and forth across the border getting revenge uh, with the Mexican people. And they were the one that called him Geronimo. His other name was, I can't even begin to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, okay. And, and so he, uh, he after the, uh, they conquered the Apaches, he was sent to uh, Florida, where they sent all of the Apaches. They wanted to get them four out of here as so they could get them, just like when we sent 
the guys over from, you know, uh, the ones at Guant Guantanamo, uh -huh. get them as far out of their element. That's what they did to the Apaches, which was a sad, sad thing that they did. And uh, he, then they sent him back to Oklahoma eventually, and that's where he, where he uh, lived till he died. But he got to go to New York to the World's Fair and. Didn't he travel? Did did he travel with uh, Buffalo Bill? I don't. I, I he might have, but I I never remember seeing anything about that. Okay, I don't I don't remember either. I know that he had a couple of chiefs, and I don't remember which ones they were. Yeah, well, he was. But Geronimo's kind of the most famous of them all. Well, he was never a chief. Okay. Geronimo, he was a shaman, but never a chief. Okay. And so, uh, what artifacts of Geronimo's? Uh, we do not, other than that one picture of him up there. Okay. We don't have any of his artifacts. Now, Victorio was the chief of the Apaches in this area. Okay. And uh, that that is the only kind of picture you will ever see of him because uh, he didn't want his picture taken and his headband came off and it made his hair. <laughs> okay. But that's the only type of picture. Uh, this... The old Patchy, a chief right over here on the, in this. Right. Uh, he came back and lived, Baglugi, uh, and lived in uh, Miskalero. Okay. And this was his saddle. Okay. And and these are pictures of Harlan Geronimo, who was supposedly Geronimo's grandson. Okay. Or son. Uh, if you have any more questions, I'll try to answer them. Well, I think we're probably okay with that. Let's let's go this way, because we have not been to this room yet. Okay, this is our Hispanic heritage room. Okay. And most of the ones, the Hispanics were all Catholic. Okay. So there is a lot of, you can see a lot of the Catholic influence here, uh, through the dolls and the priest garments and so forth. Right. We like to have uh, some of our older Hispanic families put a show here, I mean, do a uh, display of their family. This happens to be the Sullivan family. Okay. Who is, we have lots of Sullivans here. Uh, so far, we haven't got anybody else to, to, to do that. Uh, these are just old artifacts that they used, a cheesemaker, a yoke for oxen, and so forth. Okay. And, and then, this is our cowboy room. More hats yeah, <laughs> in here. Yeah, lots of hats in here. And all kinds of things that they would use on the ranch. Uh, all of the brands are local. We took the boards down and took them out to the county fair and asked the ranchers to bring their branding irons. Oh. And, and so they brought them and uh, you see what we got. <laughs> yeah, you've got a chuck wagon set up, set up here with a couple of Dutch ovens. Yeah, this, and... this was supposedly a, uh, one that Pancho Villa had... Uh, used or ate off of or something. The chuck wagon? Yeah. Wow. I can't remember the... Uh, I can't remember the exact story. Uh, made three trips to Palomas, Mexico and was used for the trail herding cattle. And I thought it said something in It here. does. It says uh, a cattle importer was buying cattle from Pancho Villa who was served several meals from, from this, this box. box. I couldn't wow. That's pretty cool. As I, I tell the kids when they come through, uh, they didn't have McDonald's then, so... Oh, no. You had to take your... Yes. Now, 
reading brands is a, 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 a talent in itself. And there's one brand up here. It's the the second. Yep, the the second one up there that has a two, and then there's a two on its side, and then uh -huh. there's a P at the end. Okay. And I know that one. That's too lazy <laughs> to pee. You're a good you're a good brand reader. No, I I've, I've been shown that one before. Oh, okay, because I was. I've got yes. a friend that's a that's a brand inspector. And oh. So, but yeah, there is a there is a an art. You know, you've got the little rocking yeah. underneath, so you could have like a rocking R. Or a lazy Z or a lazy two is right. when they're on their side and you have slashes and dashes and yep. So yeah, uh, that's the box K. This I'm is assuming. a diamond A. Yeah, that is box K. Back yeah. back K box K backwards. And yep. this uh, uh, diamond A is the ranch that uh, Turner owns now. Oh okay. That and this the ladders. Okay. Wow. And this is the women's part. Okay. Uh, a washing machine. And I always try to tell them how they, you know, put water in this and water in this and swish it around and run, run it, it through, through the, the roller. roller. Yeah. Yep. And then you've got the older style, the washboard. Yes. Yes. And this is our school, uh, what our school looked like with the little disc. That... Okay. And some of the things that women would use. Hot water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of their pretty dishes. And then there's this rifle that I I don't understand about guns, so. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go back on up front here and we'll finish this up. Do you guys have a, a website for people? I, we are in the process of building a website. I won't go into the long okay. reason as to why we don't have one right now. That's okay. But I now have a contact number for you. Right. So when we get all of that information up and going, okay. I will let you know. Okay, and, and we'll let that go. Uh, now, do you guys have a fee for coming in here? Or is it all donations? It's, or it, we, do, we do have a fee. It is uh, $6. It's six dollars for adults, oh. uh, or if you're a veteran or ARP, it's five dollars. Okay. We have a family rate of fifteen dollars uh, with the mom and the dad, and if they've got some. How kids. reasonable to come see all this cool stuff. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. Very and the museum reasonable. is really easy to find. It's right on the main street in Truth or Consequences. You type in. Uh, Truth of Consequences Museum, Geronimo will show right up. Exactly. And so uh, the museum's easy to come by. I need to go check out the hot pools because I haven't done that yet, and that sounds like it's way interesting. But I want to thank all four of you, Debbie for setting it up, Mike for taking us through the, the geology part, Anne for all of her knowledge, and Jeff for everything that he does. Uh, with the pottery and the arrowheads, this has been absolutely fascinating. And I always finish out my podcast by saying the world is full of wonder. Oh, we yes. need to get out and explore. This museum has so much to see and so much variety. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go. Where am I to go? Meet Johnny. Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?